0: Every Sunday, I can't wait to get here to worship with you guys. And we got such a great team that leads us all the time. We're super blessed. um, There are some things in life that just go together. Like, you hear one, and then your mind automatically thinks of the other one. I mean, if I were to say, like, peanut butter... And jelly, Bananas, really? Come on. (laughs) Peanut butter and bananas and chocolate. Okay, maybe there's many things. Chocolate goes with everything. Okay, let's just admit that. Uh, Batman and Robin. Okay, Simon, musical Simon and Garfunkel. Okay, old school comedic duo Abbott and Costello. For some of you are like, that's a flashback. Okay, uh, people always say that there are two guarantees in life. Death and taxes. It's tax season. How many of you started? How many of you are avoiding it? Okay, perfect. Um, there are a couple of things that you think all throughout that you just, when you hear one word, you think of another. And I want you to think because in, in a lot of ways they're linked because of whether it's association or whether it's from just familiarity or whether it's just from tradition and things that have been passed down throughout the years. I want you to think about that idea of linkedness um, tonight as we look into this next passage in the book of James. And we're going to get into a passage tonight that uh, many who uh, aren't uh, of a Christian faith, who maybe look at the Bible and actually say they use this particular passage to say, see, the Bible's wrong. It contradicts itself. In fact, in James chapter 2, the passage we're going to read tonight, and we're going to kind of dive in and, and experience a little bit, and hopefully swim around and come out with some clear conclusions from it. You'll you'll need more time to search through it, but I think we'll get to some really good handles on it tonight. This is one of the passages in the Bible where people look at it and they say, see, it contradicts itself, so therefore the Bible can't be true. And so when you hear someone say that, what they're actually pointing to might be one of these passages that we're going to look at tonight, but I want you to see it in a way that you actually see it linked. Because that's the point of what James is getting at here. And we'll get to that in a second. So a quick recap. We've been in this Love Does series, kind of working our way through the book of James, one of the New Testament books. It's a great book, especially if you're kind of new to church And maybe your friend dragged you here tonight, and it's awesome that you came. Thanks so much for coming. I know you could be a whole lot of other places, and we're really glad and honored that you're here. And we want you to kind of feel like this is a family where you can put down some roots and actually get to know some other people around you. And I hope that tonight is an encouragement to you. And we would love to invite you to make us a part of your normal part of your weekends and to celebrate life and kind of lean in and grow with us. And um, this series is all about... James and he kind of looks at the gospel of Jesus and he says the life and the death and the resurrection the message of Jesus In a nutshell is the gospel all of that put together And it's it's where we can find life with God and James says I want you to understand the gospel In fact, he doesn't unpack the gospel a lot He kind of assumes that we have it and so he has that little bit of assumption Then he begins to go into application of applying what this means and how it begins to change and impact how we now live and so it's a lot of application. In fact, the very first verse is, this is James. He says a couple words, greetings, and then he launches in and he goes. And in James chapter two, he's going to dive a little bit deeper into some particular things. But really the whole context, the overarching theme throughout the whole book is that this idea that, that the power of the gospel is that God loves to transform people, not merely inform people, and that this is about renovation of the, whole, of the, of the soul, renovation of the heart. And about a life renovation that goes on, that Jesus saves us, but he saves us to something. And that he rescues us, but he rescues us into something. And that's what the whole point of this, of this uh, narrative that's going throughout the book of James is kind of diving into and helping us understand that James was changed. In fact, if you're, you're skeptical of Christianity, you're in good company with James. James was actually one of the brothers of Jesus, and he was super skeptical. In fact, he didn't even believe Jesus was the son of God, didn't really believe in Jesus and his ministry, his message or anything until after Jesus came back from the dead and met him. Somehow that little thing changed him forever. As you can imagine that that would change somebody. So if you're skeptical, James is actually one of those guys that was in that camp and something happened in his life, an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ that changed him forever and it moved him from being in a skeptic camp to being a sold out servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether you want to believe that or not, you have to look at that honestly and say something happened to that dude. And it's up to you to believe whether you believe it or not. But something happened to him that his life did a 180 from where he was at. And then he writes this book. In fact, Paul talks about James being one of the pillars of the early church in Jerusalem. And so he's got a lot of sway and a lot of impact and a lot of influence in the early church, which is crazy when you think about where he was three or four or five or six years prior to that. Amazing life change in James. So... I know uh, I told you we have lots of sermons in here. We're going to skip over a little bit more in chapter one, get to chapter two. We'll come back to a couple of these. And next week, Brandon's going to be talking. I'm really excited about what uh, he's got and the power of our words and the impact and the influence our words can have and how we use those. But tonight, I want to look at this passage where uh, it's James is exploring the connection between faith and works. Now, often, uh, if you've been around religious circles or church circles in a while, you'll hear people talk about, well, you've got to have faith in Jesus. And then you, you'll hear other people talk about, well, you've got to work. Like, you've got to work out your salvation. You've got to have efforts and deeds and things that go. And you have a lot of people sometimes that get caught up fighting, in one way, is a saying, look, it's not about what you do for God. It's what Jesus did, and that's why it's faith, right? And that's important. Because that's huge and it's true. But see, your faith is meant to have expression and to have an impact and an influence and begin to flow out of and begins to manifest itself in your life and in your living for it to be real, true, genuine, saving faith. And we see both of these things expressed in the Bible. And here's what James says. So actually, I want to read a larger chunk of scripture. Then I want to kind of make our way, we'll kind of wade through it a little bit, and we'll pick some things apart. Make sense? So tonight, if you're like an engineer mindset, like if you're an artist, I'm really sorry. This probably is going to be more engineer geared sermon, okay? So if you're an artist... Draw a picture of it or something, okay, while we go through this. It'll help you. Uh, But if you're more of an engineer uh, mindset, you might actually like some of these. Like, I'm actually going to say, here's one or two things. You're like, wow, he's giving numbers tonight. That's amazing. I like that. Okay, so here's James chapter 2, verse 14. Here's what it says. James is writing to this early church, and he says these words. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but you do nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? That's what he's saying. What good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. What James is talking about, he's going to use the word dead and alive here several times in this passage. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. See, you believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. He goes on. You foolish person. Don't you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless or dead? He's using that word again. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Remember, Abraham was getting ready to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And God stopped his hand and said, look, I I see that you believe. And he provided a ram as the first kind of sacrifice and set up the whole system way back, way, way back. Was not Abraham considered? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled and it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That phrase is actually coming from Genesis 15, the other from Genesis 32. And so it's this, this time had passed and Abraham had believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then later on, Abraham is expressing that faith and he's proving in a lot of ways this faith as God was testing him. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone goes on as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without deeds is dead a lot of words i know i get it let me ask you a couple questions if a relationship with god is free then why am i supposed to do or not do certain things you ever ask yourself that question if i can't earn god's love or do anything to make me love him uh, for him to love me more or love me less, then why should I work so hard to do the things he wants me to do? You ever asked yourself that question. See, James is going to kind of get at the root of some of those questions. But to get at it accurately, we have to kind of put James up in comparison to the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul wrote much of the New Testament. James has written this one. Okay, this, this book, this text that we're looking at these few weeks. And so Paul and James are who people point to when they say, see, the Bible contradicts itself. And I want you to see it. In fact, I'm going to point it out, I'm going to put it up here on the screen. We're going to see it together. Okay, where these things seem to contradict. Okay? So here's two verses from Romans three twenty-eight and James two twenty-four, one of the verses I just read. Okay, so Romans three twenty-eight says this. This is Paul speaking in the book of Romans, he says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And then James 224, that I just read in that onslaught of Scripture, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Wait a minute. Can I just read those again? Paul says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from from the works of the law. And then James comes around and says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. How many of you, you hear those two things and go, Which is it? Right? I mean, don't you see the contrast in that? It seems like conflicting reports, doesn't it? At face value, you read those two sentences and you go, Well, one dude's saying this and one dude's saying this. So which one is it? Right? You ever had a choice to make? You ever heard two sides of the story? In fact, they always say that there are always are what? Two sides of the story. That sometimes when you hear something from a friend or you hear something from a child or you hear something from uh, a nephew or a cousin and you're hearing their side of the story and you're like, well, I wonder what the other side of the story is. And it seems like that these two guys are, are wrestling with something here. Now, before you have a little mini freak out of faith, here's what I want you to understand. There's a couple historical things that we have to keep in mind here. The one is this. The early church embraced both James and Paul. James and all of Paul's writings are included in the Bible scriptures. And the canon that was canonized and said, these are the holy scriptures. They both made it in. So obviously something happened that they understood that these weren't conflicting verses. These weren't conflicting thoughts or philosophies or, or, or states of mind or things that they were trying to express in truth. Paul and James actually knew each other. And more so than just acquaintances. Paul refers to, as I told you in Galatians, as James being one of the pillars of the early church. They both actually were in the council, one of the first church councils in Jerusalem, to figure out the relationship between faith and works. And they both left that meeting together unified. So it's not like one's arguing with the other. There has to be something that's going on behind the scenes. There has to be something that we're not seeing on first pass. And that's what I want you to see tonight. So to get at that... I think we can understand if we look at words in context. Can we all agree that words can have different meanings, right? Same word can have different meanings. Let me give you an example. I'm going to say the word rock. What different meanings can the word rock have? How many of you have stood outside Crocker Barrel and you've sat in the rocking chair and you've actually rocked yourself and said, I'm going to just sit here for a while. Come on. Who's with me? Okay, a few of you. I've done that. Is that rocking? Yes. How many of you enjoy the music we do? Is that not also rock? It's a genre of music in some ways, isn't it? Isn't a rock also something that maybe you have covered your ground in your front yard or backyard with? Correct? So rock can have several meanings. The same word can mean different things. It can. It has a way of working it out. It can have different meaning. It could be all in the context of what's being said. So the word justified is the word that they both used in the sentence that we said, Romans chapter three, and in James chapter two. And in the word justified in Greek literally has two different meanings. Let me give it to you. The first meaning is this. It can mean to make it right or to make it okay. Meaning I have an outstanding debt. Is Amanda here? Amanda, there you are. Amanda was so kind to be deceived with us last week and help me out with an illustration. So Amanda, I never paid you back, did I? Some of you were asking last week, hey, did you ever pay that lady back? And I told you, no. This is that's how temptation works. It's a bad trade. It doesn't give you your money back, right? It just doesn't. So Amanda, I don't have money with me to pay you back, <laughs> but I will get money to pay you back, I promise. I'm going to justify what happened last week, okay? And I'm letting the camera know this so that anyone who's watching online knows I'm, I'm helping myself out, okay? I'm not a mean pastor who takes money from people. So Amanda, if you weren't here last week, you'll have to watch. Um, so see me afterwards okay? And we will justify this, this debt that was remaining. We will make it right and get it there. Then it's up to you to do with whatever you want, okay? So thanks for coming back, by the way. Um, So it's to make right, to make it right. And the second part of this is uh, to justify, is to prove yourself right, to show something to be right. So I guess if you stick around after church, I will show myself to be right and pay Amanda back. Does that make sense? So I'm going to make it right. It's not just I'm going to set it right, but then I'm actually going to verify that it is right. I'm going to justify that. So that's what's happening in these verses that Paul's saying and that James is saying. See, Paul and James are both speaking about the reality that the gospel of Jesus his message, his life, his death, his resurrection, the whole thing, that it has an effect on people. And it is solely by faith in what he did for you. They are agreeing on that. But what they're saying is that the saving faith will actually generate an alive faith an active faith that begins to flow out of that change, that transformation that happened in you at the moment of faith. Does that make sense? So what they're saying, both in agreement, is, hey, this is going to happen. See, the grace of God is a gift that we get. It's not something we earn. It's not something I can try to heap enough good efforts in order to eventually even out the scale and tip it in my favor Because here's the reality. A perfect God, me. Substitute yourself here. You will never do enough good things to tip the scale in your favor. It just won't happen. God's perfect. Let me remind you, you're not. If you know the person next to you, nudge them. They're not, right? No one is. And so what James and what Paul are saying is, There's something about this grace of Jesus that saves us. And when we're saved by it, when it genuinely grabs a hold of our heart, it will not only justify us, get us in the right standing with God, it will actually begin to express itself in how we now live. And it will prove itself right. It will have some action to it that you'll be able to see That It's true. You'll be able to see that it happened. It kind of reminds me what Paul writes in Ephesians to the church in Ephesus He says one one of my favorite passages That if you're not a christian just here Here's what paul says. Here's what it means to become a follower of jesus He says this it's by grace that you get saved. It's by grace that you get saved through faith in jesus It's not from yourself So that you can't boast about it. It's not about what you do. It's you can't do enough It's by faith In Jesus alone, so that no one can boast about it. And then he goes on in the next verse. For we are God's workmanship. We're his masterpiece, it says in Greek. Created in in, in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We get saved by a saving faith that generates an alive, active faith that begins to express itself in our living. That's what Paul is saying. And listen, that's what James is saying. They're saying the same thing. They're helping you see the two sides of justification. One is made right. One is proven right. One shows itself right. And they're both work together. They have to be there. See, Paul is saying, uh, he says this in Galatians chapter five. Galatians is a book all about the freedom that we have in Christ. It's by, uh, by freedom that Christ has set you free it's for freedom so you stand firm in the freedom and don't be taken over by this yoke of slavery of all the things you have to do but it will express itself he goes on he says this this circumcision was a big deal back then because the jews were circumcised and that was the mark so to speak that said okay i'm a person of god and what paul is saying is look it's not about a mark on someone. It's not about an identity that you have. It's not about a family that you're born into. It's, it doesn't matter what your mom or your dad did. It's about a decision of faith. And this is what he says In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything. Your birthright, the mark on you, doesn't count for anything. But only faith, listen, working through love. Only faith working through love. In fact, if you just skip down a couple other verses in Galatians chapter 5, one of the most famous passages in Galatians 5 is what? The fruit of the Spirit. God has given us this fruit of the Spirit that's beginning to become more and more a part of our life that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness begins to what? Those are actions, aren't they? They are attitudes. They are a part of our character. That begins to get on display more and more. Do you see how this is actually saying the same thing? It's not, Paul is not saying, look, it's just faith and then you do nothing. It's faith and faith alone. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But when you get saved and that saving faith rescues you, it will generate. An active, alive faith that begins to find expression and manifest itself out. And that's what James is saying. Hey, faith has this expression in these deeds. You've got to be loving in this way. It's not about just knowing something in your head. And you get this card and you just carry it around like this badge. It has to be finding expression and displayed in your life. See, when James says that we're justified by works, he means that our actions are showing our conversion to be legitimate. Showing the fact that we have faith in Jesus and this saving faith is beginning to drive us, to help us understand that James is driving home the reality of the difference between a conjured up phony faith and a real deal kind of faith in Jesus. Let me try to illustrate this. A phony faith is just something that maybe looks legit on the outside. But on closer inspection, there's really no life, no vibrancy, no no nothing to it. It'd be like if I put a fire on the screen. Okay? So here's, here's fire. Ooh, fire. Right? How many of you are scared of this fire? touch it oh look it's just on a screen it looks legit it looks cool but there's nothing to it right now if i have a flame that's much smaller and i attempt to hold my hand over it and get closer and closer and it hurts how what am i seeing from this it's much smaller than that one, right? But there's something real about this. It's, I can see it, there's movement to it. Even if I put this on a GIF file and it moved around, there's, there's nothing real about it. It looks legit, but it has no warmth to it. It has no potential power to it. It can't do anything where this could. This has potential to do something in it. You can express it, you can feel it, you can sense it. If you hold your hand long enough, it will burn. It has an effect to it. So what James is saying is, look, when you have this saving faith in Jesus, it rescues you. It is only and always in what Jesus did. It's solely always about him. It's about his fame. It's about his story. It's about his pursuit of you. And when you rest in faith and you trust your life to Him, when you really do that, it begins to become alive within your life. It changes you. See, the gospel changed you at the moment of faith. And it will continue to change you. It's about renovation of the soul and a renovation of the spirit. And it begins to find more and more expression in how you now live. Can I give you the bottom line? Here's what I'd say. Saving faith will generate an active and alive faith. A saving faith in Jesus, it will generate an alive and active faith in how you now live. And so when we look around and we begin to wonder, am I Christian? Am I a follower of Jesus? Jesus spoke often about fruit, right? The Bible speaks about that, that there's fruit in how we live. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 7, this idea that, you know, bad fruit comes from bad trees and good fruit from good trees. That you'll know someone by their fruit, by how they now live. This active, alive faith. And that's what James is getting at. In fact, James is really drilling down on this idea of don't settle for a dead faith. Because he's speaking to a group of people who thought by a birthright, they had it. Listen, I don't care who your mama and who your daddy were. I love them. Good for them. But just because they're a follower of Jesus doesn't make you one. Just because you show up at a church doesn't make you a Christian. It makes you a person in a church. Just the same way that when you show up at a grocery store, it doesn't make you produce. It makes you a person who's in a grocery store, right? Being a follower of Jesus settles down on one simple thing. Have I trusted my life to Jesus, period? His saving faith is what saves me. It's not my actions. It's not my reactions. It's not my activity. It's not, there's no matter of good deeds. I try to prop up and say... Is this good enough, God? It's simply saying, Jesus, you paid a price I could never pay. You lived a way that I could never live. And I'm putting all of my eggs in your basket and I'm trusting you. Come save me. And when that happens, that saving faith will now generate, will now begin to find expression to manifest itself in the renovation of your soul and of your heart and as you begin to live and your faith becomes alive and people notice by the fruit of how you now live does that mean you're perfect no no that's why we talk so much around here about this is always about progress not perfection progress progress is greater than perfection because perfection doesn't exist But this is about progress. Ask yourself a very simple question. Am I expressing my faith? Is my faith finding expression more and more in how I live, how I think, how I interact, how I react? Is it it expressing itself more now today than it was two years ago? And if you can't answer yes to that, then the question becomes, have you settled for a phony faith? Have you settled in for something that's just like, I know a lot about God, but I've never really surrendered my life to God? Here's three quick signs of dead faith that you'll see in this passage from James chapter 2, 14 through kind of 26. Uh, here's three quick ones. One is this um, from James two fourteen says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, It has no expression on how they live and how it impacts how they handle money, how they see people, how they interact with people, how they choose to forgive or not forgive. It doesn't have a lick of difference on how they live. What he would say is, you're a Christian label without a changed life. You wear a Christian label, like a brand. But it hasn't changed your life, and it's a sign of dead faith he's saying your faith has to be alive has to be active you're not perfect but you have to be having progress in this that's what saving faith does it automatically generates an alive active faith and begins to regenerate and, and renovate your heart in how you now live it impacts you you don't get to simply say i'm a christian because i go to church hey you're a good person because you go to church but that doesn't mean you're saved And I know this may be harsh and it's a little bit harder than maybe last week's passage, but it just is. And this is how James is. He's just kind of a little bit in your face. And you have to take that sometimes. He's saying, look, don't wear a Christian label. Uh, without a change to life. Let God change your life. The second one is this, uh, taken from James two fifteen through 17. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes, daily food, and one of you says, hey, go in peace, keep warm, well-fed, but doesn't do a lick about anything to help their practical needs. He says in the same way, faith by itself, is, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. He says with compassionate words without compassionate actions is a dead faith. If you could talk great compassion, but you have no expression of that in how you now live, then your faith isn't alive and active. It may be phony. James is saying, you've got to check this. Now, we as a church have done very active in this. We're trying to be more and more active around our city and around the globe in how we show and how we give and how we, we give with no strings attached to people. In having lunches with the principals of the schools that we support, and in being in meetings with them, I'm telling you, they love you because they don't feel any strings attached. They just feel loved, they feel valued. And we as a church are getting to live this compassion out. Maybe the third one is this James um, says, Fearful, shuddering, but no submission is a sign of dead faith. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. They shudder in the wake of God's power and His presence, but there is no submission to Him. And James is saying, alive, live, active faith that's been saved is always about God. It's always about you. It's not about me. It's always submitting itself to you. It's always saying, God, you're the, you're the famous one. I'm just along for the ride. I just want to enjoy getting to partner with you in what you're up to. See, because here's what a live faith is. I'll do this in closing. A live faith will always demonstrate this. It will always express itself in a growing love for God and for others. In a live active faith, that's a saved faith, will always express itself more and more and more in a growing love for God and for others i think that's why jesus summed up the old testament of the law and the prophets and said love god with all your heart soul strength and mind and you love your neighbor as yourself all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments jesus took a complex thing and made it really simple why because it's relational at heart It's always been about relationship. It's never been about information. It's never been purely just about knowledge. Are those necessary components? Yes. But they're not the anchor or foundation things. It's always been about a growing relationship with God and with others and loving more and more because God is love. See, God doesn't love you because he tries to manufacture enough to to love you. He doesn't love you because he has to work himself up into it. God's very nature is love. He can't help but love you. And he loves you. And he wants to change your heart more and more. To be more and more like him. To love him and to love people around you. A saved faith will generate an alive and active faith. That the whole point of James and what he's saying is that the gospel is about transformation. It's about transforming you, not just merely informing you. Because if you just settle for information, it can be phony. It doesn't have to be real. It can be a charade. And so... As we think about this tonight, here's my challenge, my invitation for you um, this week. Real simple. Ask yourself the question, God, is, is my expression of love to you and love to other people, is that growing or shrinking? Am I a better person at loving you and loving those around me more this year than I was two years ago. See, you can know a lot about the Bible, and it can be purely information. I know a lot of people who know a lot about the Bible, but it hasn't changed a lick of how they live. And here's what James is striving to. That saving faith that changed him was (laughs) generating this alive and active faith that was continually changing him. And that's the invitation he gives to you and to me as a follower of Jesus is to first take the first step to say, Jesus, I need to submit my life to you. And if you've never done that, then tonight would be the greatest night for you to do that. And as we uh, in a moment, we're going to take communion and observe that and we're going to sing a couple songs and we're going to create some space for you to worship and to lean in and to enjoy the last bit of our time gathered together. And if you're sitting here and you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, then I guess I'm inviting you tonight to make that decision your decision tonight. And I'm simply going to invite you this. When I'm done here in a minute, I'm going to be standing right back by those doors. If that's you, you come see me. I would love to pray with you. I'd love to give you a Bible. I'd love to celebrate with you deciding, Jesus, I want to trust my life to you. Now, in the same token, for those of us who have done that, here's the invitation for you this week. It's to say, Jesus, I want to express more and more of my faith. What might that look like? I don't know for you. Uh, it, it can look as simple as I want to express my faith that, man, God's changing me and I'm just letting other people know about it. And I'm, maybe it's just sharing your story with people that you bump into in life that you're connected to. Maybe it's inviting them. To come and be a part of helmet's just to come with you and go out to dinner afterwards or whatever that may be. Maybe it's actually seeing a need that someone has and not just saying, hey, I wish you well, but actually meeting that need and saying, you know what? I can't meet every need, but I can do something about that need. And you step into that moment this week and you meet it. So you see, this looks different for each one of us, but I want to give you permission this week to say, God, every day just wake up and say I want to be a person that lives my faith out more and more that it just finds expression that it's alive and active because you rescued me and I live by a saved faith and that saved faith is generating within me and it wants to find expression outward would you help me see how I can express faith today would you just show me point me nudge me Yell at me if you have to. To help me just respond in the moment I'm in. And so Jesus, that's what I pray. That we be a people. That this week. Would just live responsive to you. That as we just sit. And in, in, as we celebrate here in a moment. Observing communion. Remembering the life. And the message. The death. The resurrection of Jesus. That he is our saving faith. It is solely always and only through him. And as we rest in that, would you do a generating work of a live, active faith in how we now live? Would you help us to live as, as NT Wright said, as active agents in the world for you? That we don't sit in our hands, we live active and we live agents. We live with a purpose that's bigger than just the story we're in. It's grander. It's greater. And you call us to it. So would you help us see little moments here and there where we can respond, where we can live in expressive faith, and we can meet needs of others, we can love people well. And Jesus, may you get all the glory and all the credit and all the honor and all the beauty, and that people may be drawn to you. So we remember in communion now as we take that, as we worship you, would you stir our hearts tonight? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.